Hello, welcome to the next in series of studies in John's Gospel. We're in chapter 9 and uh, we're picking up where we've been before. And in fact, the next two or three studies all kind of pick up on this remarkable story. There's a song by Casting Crowns called Only Jesus. And uh, it resonates with me because it talks about making a name for oneself. What is the reputation that we wish to leave behind? How do we want people to speak of us? What is it that we're trying to build and shape with our lives? Now this, I confess, is a common theme for me. Maybe it's because I do funerals. Maybe it's just the way I'm wired. But if you do funerals a lot, you're always talking about what people have left behind. You're talking about people's lives. You're talking about the impact, the impression, the legacy that they've left. In the Casting Crowns song, it has these words. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart, above all else, make a name the world remembers. Now, I don't know whether that's an intention or motivation for you or not, but he goes on and says, but all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light, but it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. And then he says this, but Jesus is the only name to remember. And it's this next part of the song that has really resonated with me. He says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won will crumble into dust when it's said and done because all that really matters is did I leave, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever. And it inspires me to think of leaving a legacy that people saw Jesus, that people were pointed to Jesus, that people experienced and understood the love of God because of the life I lived. That matters hugely to me. And that lies behind the way we're understanding John chapter 9. Jesus encounters a man who has been born blind from birth. And the disciples asked him whether that was his sin or the sin of his parents. And we looked at this in our last study because he unexpectedly tells them that it is neither their sin and uh, that, it's that the work of God might be displayed in him. Now, that's all in our last study and in, summed up by the way Eugene Peterson in the message translates or interprets this verse. He says of this, Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. And we began to unpack that when it comes to suffering, when it comes to the difficulties in our life, asking the question why ultimately is fruitless. It doesn't help and it doesn't get us anywhere. Rather, we need to ask the question, what now? And Jesus is saying it's not about whose fault this is. It is about what God can now do in this man's life. And I like that question 
for my own life? What is it now that God can do? Whatever the causes of the problems I may or may not be in, how can I look forward? How can I build something or see God build something worthwhile out of it? So over the next few studies, we're going to unpack this story in the light of this question. How might the work of God be displayed in the difficult part of our lives? How can God bring good out of it? You may recall we looked at our last time about John, uh, sorry, Romans 8, where it says that we know that all things work together for good. In other words, that God brings the bad stuff that Satan or the world has brought into our lives and he can transform, redeem, bring good out of it when we love him, when we respond to his call on our lives. And we've looked, if you like, at part one and there are a number of other parts that are going to unfold over the next few studies. So we want to look for what God can do Given the problems that we face, the suffering, maybe the ill health, maybe the conflict, maybe the problems that we're facing, the pressures, the anxiety, the fears. We want to look for what God can do. But here's the key secret. It's not about what God can do for me. It's about what God can do for his glory. How might my suffering be transformed that God might be displayed in it? How might my problems and difficulties become used by God for good? And that seems to me to be such a, a significant and powerful question to ask of our problems. How might that look? What can we do? And I want to suggest that we might want to look in certain areas we might want to see what God might be able to do. And that might fit a number of boxes. The first thing is this. And, and the reason I'm asking it, sorry, just to backtrack a sec, is that we are going to facilitate and cooperate and enhance what God wants to do if we recognize and work with it. And I'll talk more about that in my next study. But if we want God to use our suffering for his glory, then we need to see how that might look and cooperate rather than resist it. So the first area is perhaps the most obvious area, that if people see that God answers our prayer and delivers us, rescues us, heals us, then it, will, then it will be an encouragement to them to also pray and to seek God. If we're able to share with people that we've had a difficulty, we've gone through a problem, and yet God has heard our prayers and answered, then we glorify God and others will say, the God that's rescued you, the God that's restored you, maybe he can do the same for me. So we want to look for the ways in which God is answering prayer. That's easy if it's a healing in this situation. It's harder when perhaps we've prayed and forgotten what we've prayed for. But the second area is tangential to this. Because 
it may be that our suffering is caused by the prayer not being answered the moment we first pray it. So how can God be displayed in our suffering when we're not healed? How could God's power be displayed in this man's life for all the years that preceded this encounter? Throughout his blindness, how might God have been displayed? So the next thing I want to invite us to cooperate with God in is hope grasped and seen such that it generates faith in God's future redemption for others. In other words, that when people see that our suffering isn't causing anger and bitterness and it isn't causing us to give up, it isn't causing us to lose hope or faith, but when they see that we still believe that the future God has for us is greater and that there will be a day when he answers our prayer, that there will be a time in this time or the next when there is full healing and there is no more suffering. That that hope is supernatural and that hope is infectious and it causes and gives others hope as we have hope for our deliverance so we can help others have hope and not to fall into the darkness of despair, believing that nothing will ever change and that no thing will ever alleviate of, them, of their suffering. Or believing that this life is all there is and there is no point in heaven where every tear is wiped away and every sadness is gone. And we, as we cling on to that hope and believe in a life eternal, can make sense of suffering because we believe there's a time when it will seem insignificant because in the light of eternity when we've been there 10,000 years its pain and sting will be much reduced for if we have a lifetime of suffering here maybe 60 or 70 years in comparison Eternity seems to put it all in perspective. In other words, that 60 or 70 years of suffering here when matched by 60 or 70 years of bliss followed by another 60 or 70 years of bliss followed by another 60 or 70 years of bliss followed by another 60 or 70 times 60 or 70 years of bliss. In other words, eternity, eternal joy. And if we can hold on to that hope that our, our suffering for now is a light and momentary trouble, as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians. If we can hold on to that hope, the work and power of God might, uh, can be displayed in our life. And the third thing that we might look for God doing within us, not only healing but not, and giving us a supernatural hope, is giving us a supernatural peace, a peace that is beyond explanation, that reveals the power and presence of God to others. In other words, people, God wants people to know the difference that he makes in their life. He wants people to know that his presence can bring a peace that's beyond logical explanation. He can bring tranquility in the midst and the heart of the stormiest storms. And for all, in order for that to be known and grasped, he has to be seen 
in the life of others. And so we ask God to generate peace within us. We ask God to give us hope. We ask God to help us have the confidence that we can go through this storm with him. And we say to God, Lord, use this suffering for your glory. Use the peace that you give me for your glory. Use the hope that you've given me for your glory. And with that in mind, we ask God to create in us endurance and the faithfulness to not turn our back on God that also therefore inspires others to give up. Not to, not to give up, I should say. Because, you see, when we feel like giving up, what really helps is to be able to look at somebody who is ahead of us in that suffering and hasn't given up. The role model, the person who we can say, well, look, if they went through this and endured and with hope and peace conquered, overcame, came out the other side, if I can see that in somebody else, I can believe and trust and hope for it in myself. And I want to be a person that gives others endurance, that my perseverance will give others the strength to persevere. I want to be a person whose God's works are displayed, his work of peace, his work of hope, and his work of endurance. But as I look for what God can do in the midst of my difficult experience, I also want him to transform my character. And that as I am refined by suffering, so God is more visible within me. Now I want to explore that in just a couple of practical areas. And the first is that suffering produces a humility and a gentleness that when cultivated, inspires and attracts others to God. When life is easy and everything goes as I want, it's very easy to generate a kind of superiority, a kind of arrogance. If you had my skills, if you had my faith, your life would be as successful as me. But suffering generates a humility an awareness of the frailty of life, an awareness of our weakness. And that humility draws people to God. It is humility that is attractive, not success. And that humility makes us gentle with the weakness, the difficulty, the fears, the resentments and angers even of others. That when we know our own suffering, we are able to be gentle with the suffering of others and not dismissive, not tell them to pull themselves together. Because suffering produces a compassion and an understanding that enables us to express the love of God. And I guess fundamentally what I'm saying is that for God's love to really be displayed in me, I probably have to understand suffering. And I probably have to have walked that journey. 
that if everything has gone right for me and everything has been easy and everything has been perfect, there will be a shallowness to me. And if I really want God to be remembered and signposted by my life, then it will be, as Paul says in Philippians, that I have had fellowship in his sufferings. Henri Nguyen says this, ministry can indeed be a witness to the living truth that the wound which causes us to suffer now will be revealed to us later as the place where God intimated his new creation. That God's transformation of me to be more like Jesus will involve fellowship with his suffering, walking the journey of the cross. And so I say to God, be displayed in my suffering. Having said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, this was probably a pagan healing ritual. This is John 9, verse 6. It certainly was unclean and distasteful. He spat on the ground and made the mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. That doesn't heal the man. It's not that he can then see. Rather, in verse 7, he says, Go, uh, Jesus told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word, this word Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So as we look for what God is doing, we need to hear what he tells us to do. We need to do what Jesus says. How might the work of God be displayed in the difficult parts of our lives? We look for what he is doing and then we do what he says. And I'm going to unpack this more in the next study. But just very simply, here are just five or six things that God tells us to do, that Jesus tells us to do. And the first one is this. It is to keep on praying. Jesus told his disciples a parable. And why does he tell them a parable? This is what he says. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. So it's unlikely in our suffering that we're going to have mud made from spit and saliva put on our eyes. It's unlikely we're going to be told to go to a particular place, to a particular pool and wash. But we are told to keep on praying. So if we want God to create hope and peace within us, if we want God to transform our character, we need to obey what he's told us to do. And firstly, to keep praying. Secondly, he commands us to love. He commands us not to choose the way of anger or hatred or blame or bitterness or to remove ourselves from others, but to love. Not just to love the people that it's easy to love, but to love our enemies. And so if we want to see God displayed in our suffering, we choose love, even though that's painful in the midst of our difficulty. It's easy to turn in on ourselves and see the world through our own self-pity. God commands us to look out and to care. He commands us to be merciful. Be merciful, Jesus. So these are just the few places where Jesus is very, very directive with people. Very, very explicit. 
If we want God to be at work in our lives, we have to be merciful. If we want God to transform our suffering, to bring good out of it, it comes with our decision to love. And as we love God, we will be merciful. The next verse in Luke 6 says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. The command of Jesus for us may not be to go and wash in a pool, but it is to love with mercy and without judgment. Not to be filled with anger, not to feel perceive that there's a load of people who have caused our problems and who are against us. But to release people from condemnation. And lastly, in the passage in Matthew 25, where Jesus outlines how people have really responded in obedience. He says, you visited me when I was in prison. You welcomed me when I was a stranger. You clothed me when I was naked. You fed me when I was hungry. What does Jesus command us to do? He commands us to care for the stranger. So what am I really suggesting? I'm suggesting that in the midst of our suffering, we make a decision to say, God, I want you to be displayed in it. I want you to be glorified. I want my suffering to point to you. And when we make that decision that our suffering should point to God and that we don't want to uh, be angry about it, we want to say, what now? Then we look for him transforming our character. We look for him answering our prayers. We look for him bringing hope. We look for him bringing peace. And in the meantime... We keep praying, we love, we seek to be merciful, free from judgment and care for those who are in need around us. So our questions for reflection as we conclude are this. What is God wanting to do in and through our suffering? What is it that God wants to do? Is he saying, look, I just want to give you hope. Is he saying, I just want to give you peace? Is he saying, I just want to give you humility and compassion and empathy? Is he saying, I want my deliverance and healing within you to be visible to everybody else? What is God wanting to do in and through us? And therefore, what is he asking us to keep on doing now? whilst we wait for that, whilst we cooperate with that? How is he asking us to look out and say, what now, rather than to look in and say, why? Let's pray together. Lord, for many who are watching and listening, the experience of suffering is so painful, so difficult. But Lord, we want you to be seen in it. We want you to be glorified. We want people to say, how great is our God. So help us to see where you're at work. Help us to choose hope, perseverance, and prayer. Help us to choose to love. We offer our suffering to you, 
and ask that you will be glorified in it. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.